Curiosity. Kill the rat. Curiosity. Kill the rat. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Curiosity Killed the Rat. My name is Matt. I'm a science enthusiast. I am speaking from lands traditionally owned by the Noongar people, and today I am joined by a lovely guest and a lovely co-host. Please introduce yourselves. Kate, I'm passing it to you. Yes. You really need to find an adjective other than lovely. It's just my default now. Okay. (laughs) You know what? Let's brainstorm this right now. Um, Eclectic. (laughs) Eclectic, worldly, um, um, knowledgeable. Um, the fact that you're struggling sure to come up with positive adjectives for me is it's alarming. Not that I'm Let's trying move to right come along. Up with positive. I'm I want Kate. to come up with interesting sounding ones. You know? I love it. It's about the flavor. But yes, who <laughs> sure. are we? Well, I'm Kate. Um, for those of you who haven't listened to the show before, I am the regular scientist on this show. I'm studying neuroscientists. I'm studying neuroscientists? No, Maybe, I'm not. I don't know. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, secretly when I sit at work, I don't, my research is actually on the people working around me, which wow. uh, it's one of whom I'm joined by today. So sorry to Christmas break it to you, Janine, but I've actually been studying you this whole time. No, cool. um, I am a neuroscientist <laughs> who studies neuroscience. Gosh. Uh, this As is opposed to a neuroscientistologist. Oh, no stopping. Anyway, I um, and our lovely guest that we are joined with and joined by today, um, Janine, are recording from lands traditionally owned by the Wurundjeri people. And so, yes, Janine, one of the other lovely neuroscientists <laughs> in my lovely neuroscience lab it's that I study. such a lovely uh, field that you study as well. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. So... I need to stop taking the piss. That's uh, <laughs> okay. Um, well, Janine. I'm Janine. Yes. Um, as Kate mentioned, I'm part of the same lab that she's currently studying in. Um, I used to be a master student in that lab, but now I'm working as a research assistant for the same supervisor. Basically, yeah. the reason why I'm here today was not because Kate bullied me. I but she made... bully you. <laughs> no, you didn't bully me, but it was the very hard sell of your <laughs> podcast <laughs> that I felt kind of like I needed to accept this because I feel like she's a bit <laughs> kind of begging <laughs> for me to be honest. But that's uh, okay. Look, that's okay. I... That's so you. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I just think Janine's going to have some really interesting things to say. And oh, really? I think this is going to be a fun show. I don't know. Well, I just. <laughs> I'm glad that Kate has either bullied or not bullied you, allegedly <laughs> bullied, innocent till proven guilty. True. I'm excited to hear Thank about you. what you have to say on the show today. What it, What is it you are wanting to talk about today? Well, um, since we currently are in lockdown in Victoria and yes. a lot of the students around this time are taking their um, mid-semester exams for their VC or HSC or whatever mm-hmm. um, year 12 studies that they're studying. And I thought that it will be a great episode for us to talk about science that's related to the high schoolers or year 12 in particular, because I feel like um, they're not really getting an accurate kind of representation of what science is beyond the Mm. textbooks and the learning Mm -hmm. and all that. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we have the, like kind of the gift of hindsight because we are Mm. postgraduates or like beyond school already that we could 
pretty much help them or give them advice on. So I thought it would be a fun episode and it's more personable to everyone else. Yeah, I'm excited for this. It's, you know, a little bit of a different flavor to how we would normally go about an episode. And so I think... I think it's going to be great. But um, I think it's still a very good, important topic to discuss because when we talk about science as a whole, usually we just talk about the concepts that are normally studied within it. But the fact of the matter is people got to study them. There's ways to go about studying mm. them. And there's a lot of realities and ways that you go about this that I don't think, you know, people normally think about in school. So yeah, well, really I think Matt, even, you know, I know you're out of school, but just through doing this podcast with me and talking to me about what it's like to actually do science mm. versus the idea of science as just like knowledge, science isn't just knowledge. Science is like, you know, the it's a process of it's a knowledge. Um, and I feel like, I don't know, you've had surprised reactions when I've told you about certain things and mm. about like, you know, the way science as an industry in a field actually works. The idea um, of it being an industry and, and and that as well, which, you know, makes sense, you know, at mm. the end of the day, if you're doing any sort of work, um, that's work within an industry and thus has its own processes and hierarchies and chains of command and ways to get money or need money and all that good stuff that you don't normally think about in high school when regards to science because you're just kind of mm. like, hey, I'm here to learn. Let's do some learning. But mm. there's more to it than that, isn't there? Oh, yeah. look, just yeah. a touch. <laughs> I, I agree. And, and kind of, I came from this um, episode as well from a perspective that when I was in high school, I remember a lot of people were saying, oh, when are we going to ever use that? Or what is that ever mm. going to apply? So I feel like kind of applying science to an everyday kind of relatableness would help people understand that it's, science not just something that you studied and kind of specifically pursue for the rest of your life, it's yeah. actually something that's an everyday thing that's occurring that you just don't mm. really think of because it's yes. so mm. integrated into our lives. And I think that's what's and my well, main As thing. someone yeah. highly interested in science who then did not pursue science through academia, that is a very interesting mm. notion to me. I'm I'm excited to hear what you have to say on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I wanted to first start off with the um, topic of kind of science courses um, beyond high school because I, I don't know what Kate, because I know Kate came from um, WEA and I came from Victoria. So mm. we can give you the two perspectives of doing science at pretty much two different universities mm. and how mm. those compare and um, pretty much give you an idea of the pathway to how we ended up being in the same lab and being bullied <laughs> into no, <laughs> being bullied like- into the same well, yeah. I was going to say, do we sit two desks apart or three desks apart? Because technically, technically, that should be a row of four desks. But the three of us, you, me and Xavier, have kind of claimed <laughs> the row of four desks between the three of us. You've pushed um, your tables together and made one mega table. Well, it's already one long table, but where the divides were like drawn up being like, this is where one workspace mm. starts and one workspace ends. We've just kind of like shuffled those a bit. So now <laughs> the three of us get slightly longer desks. I wouldn't um, say shuffle, more like reclaim back to what it was. Before. Well, <laughs> exactly. There's no one else that needs the space currently. So it's fine. And that's fine. And um, science should be collaborative <laughs> anyway. So fantastic. Exactly. Um, Got to foster yeah. that teamwork. Exactly. Um, 
do it works idea. it worked out well because we're we all have our own space which i think we need because mm. which yeah i think at the moment with covid you know to be able to sit far enough apart from mm. each other we need that more space to be like, able it's, to it's work a COVID safe and reason. it's not at all distance. just because yeah it's not at all just because i wanted a bigger desk because <laughs> I <wanted to> <laughs> Um, I hope you all understand that. Yeah. Hey, sometimes, gonna, you know. I'm going to go with the out. first reason, just to be honest. <laughs> but <laughs> I'll go with Kate's idea as well of it being COVID safe. But yes. Yeah. Um, well, Kate, how did you find science back in undergrad? So, or like before that? Yeah, so my my undergrad experience was actually really weird, and I have a unique experience in the sense that I actually did my undergrad across two different universities. So I actually started... I did, like, first year and then, like, a little bit more, but not really, um, actually at the University of Melbourne. Uh, and then I moved to WA. It's a whole very complicated life mm. story. But I essentially moved and and uh, transferred my degree to UWA, and then I essentially did second and third year at WA. Um, so I have, like, a little bit of an internal, like, I, I've, I can see the differences, but I didn't, I obviously didn't do the same year level subjects um, across both universities. But definitely, like, UWA, I don't know, I found it really good in terms of, because obviously we both, well, I don't know, I did neuroscience as a major. Um, I don't know, was your undergrad, your undergrad major also neuro? Yeah, neuroscience as well. Yeah. So, like, I found that, um, like, it was one of the majors that had less subjects specifically for it compared to something like physics right mm. where there's just like so many physics specific subjects it was kind of like you you do general biology related stuff maybe a bit of chem a bit of anatomy a bit of physiology and then um in third year you finally get your neuroscience subjects um which is a bit rude but we did actually have a neuroanatomy specific subject in second year which I don't think Melbourne has um so I got to look at like brains and stuff in like but nice. I did that subject in essentially my third year so it you know but yeah it was one of those weirder um did you majors, always have it. the goal of going into neuroscience when you were starting your undergrad doing though that more um because if what yeah. you, did, you didn't start doing neuro shit till you were in what third year so you were just slogging out two years doing new, no neuro being like I'll get to the brain soon I'll get to the yeah, brain Yeah pretty soon. much like right. I I knew I wanted to do neuro as a major when I started mm. um I considered doing physiology as a minor um when I'd started to do some physiology subjects or even pharmacology because I was like these are really interesting um, but then because of my transferred degree, it became too hard to have a minor. So I ended up just majoring in neuro, but mm. I pretty much also did physiology. Um, but yeah, no, I knew from the start that that's what I wanted to do. And I was really impatient just doing like general biology and general chemistry and, but like that, and also, you know, I run a science podcast. I talk about physics. Sometimes <laughs> I talk about botany. Sometimes I yeah. talk about like, you know, all sorts of all science because, I love it all. So I actually really liked the style of undergrad and being able to like take some, like learn a bit of everything. Yeah. Um, and spread myself across and, you know, I don't know. Was it similar for you, Jane? Um, so for mine, I pretty much have, cause like my bachelor is actually called bachelor of science. So like you, I studied pretty much physics well I didn't really study physics because I hated physics um, psychology general chemistry general bio and all that um yeah 
pretty much I did I knew I wanted to do neuroscience way before I actually entered university and I kind of chose UNML because it was the only kind of university that was offering neuroscience as a major like mm. I was like looking at Monash as well and other universities and in Monash it was more the behavioral neuroscience which is kind of leaning more towards the psychology and I'm just mm. like not really into that as much as I find psychology fascinating I like mm. to get into the nitty-gritty the like, molecular stuff the, yeah. like, the actual yeah. physical what the fuck and is that's going what on really, yeah yeah the yeah. like let's zoom right into that molecular level and figure out what the fuck is actually going on mm-hmm. in the brain to make things happen like that that's what enthuses me. Like, that's yeah. what blows my mind. And I'm like, that's what I love about my research. And just like, it fucking wild yeah. that you're just like, I can, you know, inject a very specific molecule into a very specific brain region that we know binds to a very specific receptor. And it changes this whole behavior. Mm. And it, it's like, that's whack. That's <laughs> whack that we can do that. Like, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, Jumping yeah. ahead in like, going from undergrad to where you guys are at now in terms of being scientists working around that, how does it feel going from just learning things that have already been discovered to now being into realms of science where you guys are the ones actually Mm. discovering new things and making findings and contributing to the field for other undergrads and high school kids and all field levels and fields of science to come along and then learn from your own findings. Cause I would imagine that would be pretty fucking awesome. <laughs> I mean, for me, that's the biggest appeal of doing research yeah. is that like you get to actively contribute to the body of knowledge that we hold or what mm. we, you know, knowledge in the sense of like what we think so far is true based on the evidence that we have so far collected. Because that's mm. another thing that I, you know, I think about science that, I, you know, I think I've clarified a few times on the podcast, but I like to continuously clarify is that like anything that you kind of get told is like science knows that this is a thing. It's like, well, actually the studies suggest at the moment that this is the most logical conclusion, but 10 years down the line, we might have technology with, you know, better resolution and better mm. ability to pick up on detail. And so that, that hypothesis might change when we can learn more. Like, it's this ever-growing, changing beast. Mm. And getting to, like, contribute to that? It's, yeah. It, I don't know. It gives me a sense of purpose that I just really don't feel like I have without it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, I get you. I think I'm the same both, actually. And the fact that it's kind of surreal as well, that you're the research that I was reading, like, the papers before I actually entered university, now I'm actually... Mm kind of doing this some of the things that they're doing and it's just really really fascinating because I don't think I've ever had an experience quite like it even though I Mm. did volunteer for like other labs or like done other like small things on the side Um, research especially neuroscience is kind of like an all-around kind of thing so what I mean by that is that you're combining some of the chemistry so like when you're doing like delivering drugs or anything you're using that Mm. and then you like in the biology sense as well is that Um, what like kind of say for example what part of the brain are you going to be targeting and what are the effects that could happen later on and then you Mm. bring in the psychology as well the behavioral aspects so like Mm. it's really fascinating and the fact that you're pretty much on the same level as all the other um, researchers like Mm. the ones that you keep seeing on papers and then later on they start citing you or which is like yeah crazy yeah. it's just like it's very very fascinating at the same time very humbling because 
you didn't mm. think that your like research is actually like just a little bit more than um, in university and I think that's one of the greatest experiences that I like about research as well. Mm. Um, I mean, sure, there's other things that I don't like about research, but the fact <laughs> that you're working like alongside really leading researchers in the same field, studying the same things, and you're talking mm. about the same thing, I think is priceless, to be honest. Mm. Yeah. No, I agree. I, I love it, but... Um, yes, there are definitely problems with it, academia. It, yeah. Um, it's, it's not all a fairy tale walk in the park where on the forefront of knowledge, discovering new things, everything's great. Hurrah for intellectualism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's <laughs> definitely problems. Um, I don't know about Kate, but one of the things that I find that's the biggest problem is the competition in academia, especially oh. in your research and your science. God, yeah. Um, yeah. So <laughs> um, for me, I felt this especially back in like first year of master's in that a lot of people don't aren't really willing to share with you their research or anything for the fact that they think you're going to steal their idea or publish some uh, kind of paper, mm, which is like hindering the progress, I think. And Yeah, exactly. Like being like, you know, like, well... ANS has been cancelled, which is a conference that, you know, there was going to be a conference at the end of the year that I was, I was talking to our lab head about what I was going to present or like submit an abstract to present. And I was like, can I talk about this stuff that hasn't been published yet? And he was like, no, because like someone might see it, like it's really cool stuff and someone might see it and scoop it and publish it before we do. So you need to talk about stuff that's like kind of already been published or really close to being published. And sometimes that can be such a bummer because I'm like, but I've, I'm doing this really cool stuff that I want to tell the world about, yeah. but I, I can't because, yeah. you know, because of, not yet. Because yeah. yeah. other people might try and nab it from you because yeah. it's a very... It, and it, that happens. That um, has happened before, yeah. It's, I'm not sure if it's from our lab, but I know another lab in another building has had that happen and they don't want a repeat of that so everyone's yeah well my housemate's lab um in the like same building as us same institute as us that happened to them recently i think that's Um, just the biggest thing but i can kind of see why people are a bit hesitant to share their research but at the same time i feel like it's kind of like devaluing the importance of teamwork and collaboration in research Mm. in general which it should be right isn't a whole a big staple of scientific um understanding and progress the idea of peer review and that everyone checks each other's work to be like all right we need to have everyone do the same thing so we can all be sure to increase our own collective knowledge it's it's not necessarily about the individual you would think yeah. um but also on the flip side of that you know academia um, and you know, science within academia is is a meritocracy. It's it's based on you know, the people that get the funding to do more research are the people that have published the most papers, are the people mm. that have won the most awards, that have um you know done the best presentations at the conferences, that have like you know your academic CV. You can stack it up with all of these achievements, and you're more likely to then get the money to do more research. Like it's this self perpetuating cycle. And you need to, uh, so, have unfortunately, you know, it's experience. that whole you'll hear publish or perish as a phrase that people use in academia of like, you know, you kind of you your job and your ability to secure funding to keep doing your job kind of depends on you being able to publish papers. And so working in that spirit of collaboration and putting other people first 
depending on how secure you are in your funding, I can see why people are pushed to take drastic measures to publish things mm. quickly before other people and all that sort of thing. Like it's, it's almost hard sounds kind of like you guys work on commission. Similar. I would say not entirely yeah. the same, like not entirely commissioned, but similar um, kind of scenario, I would say um, because mm. funding, especially these days from what we're hearing from our labs and other labs as well, is that it's really been tightened and not a lot mm. of funding from the government is going through research recently I think the unless you're researching COVID, that's um, pretty much it. Like that's the all the only. all the money has just been funneled to COVID. Yeah. which like fair uh, enough. Understandable. Yeah. We need fair we enough. need that research. Yeah, but also you know the yeah. flip side of that, like our lab looks at you know addiction at like problematic drinking, problematic mm. eating, yeah. that sort of thing. And that kind of stuff which, probably has only gotten worse with COVID. Yeah, right? exactly. Like, um, <laughs> but getting funding to do that research is now secondary. Because yeah. it's and, an auxiliary problem and not the main thing going on. Yeah. So it doesn't yeah. get the light of day. Yeah. yeah, it's unfortunate that that's just the state of the world at the moment, mm. um, which yeah. is not to discourage anyone listening yeah. to this episode. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> I mean, I'm like that morbid. Dip down into, I mean, but it, it's good to acknowledge that yeah. it's not flawless. It's not perfect. Any industry one works in has its own set of issues and things and science mm. is included and in I think that. It's so worth it's good knowing to address. You don't, don't want to give them a, a pipe dream. You know, you don't want to be like those army recruiters who talk all about, you know, like, ah, oh, come see the world, kid, man. Look at all this awesome stuff you get to do. Mm, and you get to have fun yeah. and bro down. But, you know, they yeah. don't talk about the severe PTSD and trauma and all that. That also comes with military service. Yes. Yeah. But Pretty it's much. good to tell people about that. Yeah, I think it's good to be realistic about what the actual research um, industry is like at the moment or, like, what research is um, kind of turning into, which is basically becoming like a business I'm sorry to say but I think a lot of the oh, research is. Is, a lot universities of universities are yeah. businesses yeah they are. pretty much yeah. bottom line it's all about mm. making money and I think like, high schools as well I think what gets schools their funding and what makes schools look good on the list of these are the top performing high schools of whatever state you're in is they calculate it based on the number of their students that end up getting accepted into university. So it means mm. high schools, then their mm. focus is to push kids to get them into university because that makes them look like a good school, which then the which, university like, isn't necessarily even the best. Like yeah. this is where we can flip to you, Matt, yeah. and be like, hey, you didn't do an I, undergrad I science degree. No, in fact, I, you didn't do an undergrad or like... Yeah, I, I went into year 11 and 12. Like I started year 11 doing like, you know double maths and physics and chem and mm. all of these things aiming for a really high ATAR because I was like, yeah, no, I'll get into uni. I'll do either like physics or psychology or something like that. Um, mm. Ended up not doing that at all. Took a year off, went to TAFE, dropped out of TAFE, went back to TAFE, then ended up, you know, with the field of work I'm in now was from a cert two that I got while I was in year 11 and 12. I never used my ATAR. Um, and yet you learn science content on a fortnightly basis because yes. you do this podcast and you probably know more, like you have a really good general knowledge about science mm -hmm. and the way the world works and you didn't have to go to university to get that. Didn't have like, to go to university. There's a lot of really good self-directed learning resources out there that mm. at the moment from science communicators and things like that, which I yeah. used to consume a lot during high school as well. And I think with the current climate of COVID and a lot of 
online learning anyway. Mm. There are a lot of non-traditional ways to learn now that aren't just go to uni and do this and yeah. do that. You might not get the same specificity of learning that you might get from university. Well, actually, maybe not even. Khan Academy is pretty fucking good. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> for, okay, honestly, for undergrad level or at least first year, like biochemistry, etc. I learned more from like Khan Academy and Crash Course YouTube videos than I did from my mm. lectures. Yeah. Um, like, you know, knowledge is only getting more accessible. And I like to think that we're contributing to that mm. through this podcast. But, um, you know, yeah, exactly. Like it's sort of, you go to university to get mm. the expensive piece of paper that says that you've learned this stuff. And it is a good way to like learn and immerse yourself. And ultimately, if you want to do research and get to that end, like obviously it's necessary, yeah. but if you're just someone who's like, like you are, Matt, like yeah. a science enthusiast and you want to just learn science, you know, you don't have to go the tertiary route. Yeah. I think it's worth mentioning that yeah. like, for sure. And I think like university as well, it's more like if you really want to do the nitty gritty, like really want to specialize into something, I think for mm. sure, go ahead and whatnot. But if you're just... It's more, more like the depth of knowledge yeah. rather yeah. than like the yeah. breadth of knowledge. Yeah. Like yes. if you want to know really, really, really detailed about like what happens in a cell mm. when a very specific thing happens yeah. like yeah university is great for that but if you just want a general sort of broad understanding of how the world works around you um i yeah. suppose something that's important to bring up as well is for people who aren't as enthusiastic about science like myself like i just consume that sort of content for fun because i find that interesting what mm. is the value for someone who doesn't necessarily have that same like I don't just watch Nile Red for fun what 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 value does that person have to learning about science for their their day-to-day -day mm. living well for me like I tell this to my friends because out of all of my friends um that's apart from uni and whatnot majority of them mm. aren't in science related things at all but mm. I tell them that look in one way or another, um, science is a part of going to be a part of your life, your career, and whatnot. And I think the more that you learn about science, just even like the basics of it, like even knowing what a DNA is or like mm. um, basic mm. terms and all that, it'll help you out in ways that you might not even expect it. So one example that I had is that I was talking to this friend about sunscreen a couple of months ago, and I was telling her that um, she knew what SPF. SPF was, but she didn't know what it was for. And I, like I was explaining to her, well, SPF is basically an acronym for sun protection factor. And it's basically to help keep block out the UVB rays. But do keep in mind that UVB rays are just one of the wavelengths of the light that's um, present in, in, like, in the sun or whatnot. Um, there's other things like visible light, which is what you get on your screen. And some research suggests that can affect your skin as well and make you even more alert, like less um, helps you, doesn't help you get sleep, I would say. So mm. kind of like understanding basic terms like that can lead you to learning about other things. And who knows, so like it might help you understand like, okay, maybe me not getting enough sleep, uh, me not getting good in my own of sleep might be caused by the mm, UV, the, like blue. the blue light 
rays right. and whatnot. So, yeah, because that's that's a thing. Like yeah. blue wavelengths of light. There have been studies that have shown that yeah, exposure to blue light, yeah. you know, before sleep can make your sleep less good quality. And that's why mm. computers and phones and stuff have that night shift mode yeah. now, where you know, it kind of makes your screen kind of go orangey. I always yeah, I thought know, that that was can... because of um taking it in, taking that light in through your eyes, because it's tricking your brain into thinking that it's still daytime because that's usually when those wavelengths are present but is there a factor of that like just actually just going onto your skin as well Who knows? like we i don't think there's enough research yet at the moment about it being absorbed into the skin and your body kind of recognizing that hey might be daytime and whatnot but mm. they there is like solid evidence that the blue um, lights from our screens or even like the normal visible light is affecting the way that we sleep and I don't know much about sleep research and whatnot, but it's a very mm. trendy topic that they have at the moment. And a lot of um, people are actually interested in that because especially now during COVID, we're all like in front of a computer or yeah. TV mm. or whatnot. And it's a lot of people don't re- realize that, hey, that could be affecting your sleep. And <laughs> because for me, like and I, as a personal example, I don't actually try to use as much um, my computer or my phone about about an hour before I go to sleep or mm. like I can totally tell the difference when I do use it I just mm. wake up really really nasty like I'm not the best person to wake up early in the morning anyway but mm. it's even more pronounced if I do use that so I do limit it and at the moment I actually have the orange kind of filter on my screen so it'll mm. help me out with that and yeah so I think just kind of putting science into a perspective that yes um there's some things that you may never need to know in your whole life, like pretty mm. much dark matter or something like that. Yeah. That could be like a specific kind of topic. You know, some science is cool because it's just freaking Because bad. it's cool. It's like, like, it's like an like, you know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, or like, you know, sometimes when I've talked about like on the podcast topics where I go really into detail into that molecular level of like this happens and this happens, mm. you know, I don't. I don't quote unquote teach that to people because I think it's important for them to know the specifics of all the different molecules along that chain of events. But what I think is cool is that like people need to, well, not necessarily need to, but like if people realize just how much needs to go right just Mm. for us to like, you know, if we're talking about seeing light, for example, I think in the color episode, I talked about, you know, all the things that sort of have to go right mm. in the in the eye for you to even like pick that up and then for our brain to turn that into an image and then for us to perceive the world yeah. around it like you know that it's just such a detailed intricate complicated yeah. process yeah. and like just having that appreciation for like yourself and your body and like your cells and everything that's going on and how cool that is and like you know on the grander scale if we're talking about dark matter or if we're talking about like astrophysics related stuff that's like okay day to day that might not affect you but just it might give you mm. perspective yeah. on like you know the world outside of your very specific immediate problems mm. is so vast and so incredible that just having that perspective can give you it's know, good to like, have that understanding of how the world and the universe works around you, you know, the idea of, you know, the world's not just you. There are other people, there are other things, other beings, an entire planet, an entire universe you're existing within. And to understand how that works means you can exist in it better. You can contribute to it better. It'll it'll thank you for it, you know. 
like mm-hmm. understanding just, you know, how trees work, right? The simple idea of they take in carbon dioxide and release oxygen and we take in oxygen and release carbon dioxide. Mm. So just from having that simple understanding, you can then see the value of trees. Even if you're not someone with a green thumb, you might think twice about like, oh yeah, no, let's tear down these trees to put up a building because, you know, there's more harm being done than just destroying trees. You're you know, increasing Mm. the amount of carbon dioxide going into the earth. You're reducing the amount of shade that's around. That's also going to make things warm up. And by Mm. and large, that has a big impact on the climate, Um, which of course is an important thing to have an understanding of, which a lot of people don't. Yeah. 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 Well, that's, that's the other thing. That's the other reason, I guess, to learn about science is stuff, you know, learn about the climate, because obviously the climate crisis is one of the biggest things facing us right now. Learn about, you know, that, uh, viruses, how they work. That's mm. kind of a pressing thing at how the moment. Like, there's so much work. misinformation about like COVID, how vaccines work, vaccines. exactly, and yeah. you know, why they're safe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's just so much misinformation in the way certain media outlets are twisting things. Like, if you can have your own solid understanding of these things, then you can make your own informed decisions mm. about, yes. you know, your life and how you want yeah. to approach how you move through the world Mm. yeah and you can kind of bring that back down as well to like high school students because at the forefront they're probably the ones that are enthusiastic to talk about these um things because this is what's going to be affecting them in the future and like Mm. yes it's affecting us now but for them they're actually probably going to be smack bang in the middle of it because they have to deal not only with like economic crisis or whatnot they also have to deal with mental health crisis or like mm-hmm. climate change and like mm. all sorts of these things. And I think kind of using science and teaching that to younger audience and like like making them understand the value of learning science, they really don't know how much they could reach people, I would say. Mm. Like, because younger students, especially like when I was a thing, I think we make science in a way that's understandable and relatable for other people because like I, I know for a fact that science can be convoluted and all of these scientific terms that is very oh, hard to jargon. digest it's, yeah very it's so inaccessible yeah it's it so inaccessible so and I think that's like one of the gaps in science at the moment is that there's no really like proper way of community communicating science because a lot of people think that oh, that's too smart for me, or that's too hard, or yeah. like, uh, mm. I don't want to learn that. That's a, I think that's beyond my capabilities. But yeah. when you actually try to break it down in terms that mm. they'll understand, I think that's when science will make the most impact and make people kind of less scared or less, I don't know, like anxious about things that are going on. So Mm. Yeah, I think that's so the real on that value. note, everyone listen who hasn't listened to every episode <laughs> of this show before now, I'm going to take this opportunity to plug not one, not two, but every single one of our past episodes. <laughs> Give them a listen, folks. It's it's good. It's like you don't need to read Shakespeare to learn how to speak English. Like, Pretty much. You can have a good <laughs> understanding mm. of science and a practical understanding of science where you can implement it into your own life and mm. realize its importance and appreciate its coolness without mm. getting down into that nitty gritty bullshit. Without having <laughs> yeah. to read the primary papers. Oh. Mm. <laughs> That's the what problem scientists is just, are for. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's what, you know, well, that's what science communicators are for. That's why, you know, we, we read, translate, yeah. um, read the source material and yeah. then break it down. Because I don't know about you, that... Kate, but do you find that science is kind of like a language on its own, right? Oh, it is. <laughs> right? Completely. It is completely its whole, and like, not just science. I think every field of science mm. is its own language. Like, I couldn't read a physics paper without having oh, Google by my side to Google every third term, right? But I could sit there and I could read, I mean, depending, I couldn't even read some neuroscience yeah. papers depending. Like I could mm. sit there and, you know, read a behavioral neuroscience paper or, you know, something where they've done similar stuff to me mm. um, and understand it. But that's because I've spent however many fucking years <laughs> learning the language and learning the terms yeah. and sometimes I forget like you know on the podcast if I'm explaining things I'll say a word that to me has just become such a normal term and then Matt will pull me up on it and be like what the fuck is either that laugh <laughs> at, like how funny that word sounds and I'm like that like when I was talking about phagocytes if you remember that <laughs> yeah. the episode about the immune system yeah, yeah. Um, and Matt just it's like a funny word. I was like oh yeah that's not a it's normal a funny word, word. <laughs> Um, to someone who's not entrenched yeah. in that yeah. science world, mm, yeah. like kind of forget sometimes that it's hard, but you know, yeah. 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 And mm. I think like speaking about phagocytes, I actually learned that back in like year 11 or year 10 even. Mm. So, and mm. that was me already specializing in a bit of science and whatnot. So even like understanding what a phagocyte is for year 10 or year 11, you can kind of understand what's under um, research being done you can read a little bit of paper and you'll see it it's like oh phagocytes mm. and whatnot and it'll just trigger for anyone that. listening who's like what the <laughs> hell have, is a phagocyte and why do they keep saying this word uh it I'm is a cell really that essentially eats other cells yeah, yeah. Um, it's basically the way that i kind of describe phagocytes is like the janitor cells where they mm. kind of sweep up and eat the dead debris or like cells mm. that have died they're off like the pac-man like. cells that like yeah. mush up all the debris um phagocyte spelt p-h-a-g-o-c-y-t-e <laughs> yes. uh, because i know when i first heard the word the, i was picturing yeah. a different spelling hence i the was humor. gonna yes. say um, hence so it's giggles. good to have the visual context given the audio medium in which we're speaking exactly yeah exactly yeah. um yeah. and that's you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> no that's like that's all good and like the other thing I want to talk about is actually back for both of you is that back in year 11 and 12, um, what were the things that are kind of science-ish related that um, was an issue for you guys? So for what I mean by that is that for me, stress was a major issue, especially in like first year of university, because I feel like it's such a big transition going from being in high school, having all this routine and whatnot, and then just being out into university and just not having like kind of a structure so you pretty much are on your own after that and I don't know how you guys how to adult mm. basically <laughs> <laughs> but in a more scientific kind of relatable mm. kind of way Kate yeah well I mean definitely learning how to manage stress in terms of learning the fact that I mean it all comes back to we were talking about sleep before and yeah. how much that can affect yeah. you know and you can kind of I was gonna say you can you can figure this out for yourself right in terms of like if you've slept enough you know when you wake up in the morning like that you're gonna feel like crap that day or like if you've drunk too much coffee and you feel anxious yeah. like I wonder why fam and <laughs> like you know stuff like that having the understanding that it's like oh it was my lack of sleep or it was mm. the coffee or it was you know and in a way that's 
if you can like, you know, do that enough times and like fuck it up enough times and, you know, eat shitty Maccas for dinner mm. for a whole week and then figure out that you feel like crap at the end of it, like hmm. that's doing science yeah, yeah. in a way, right? You're, like you're, you're making observations, and you're, you're experimenting and you're drawing yeah. a conclusion based off your results, you know, spend a week eating good food, spend a week eating bad food, see which week you feel better on you. The results may shock you. Um, <laughs> results may shock. <laughs> Clickbaity <laughs> title. Yeah. Um, Doctors hate yeah. him. <laughs> but it's, you know, yeah. that's, yeah, one of those things that I think, especially, I don't know, especially for me when I was like 18, 19, and I was like, I don't need to sleep. I can go out all the time. I can, I was drinking a lot of alcohol mm. when I was younger and it just, you know, yeah. stuff like that, that now that I work in yeah. alcohol research, I am alarmed and appalled at myself. And I'm like, if I'd understood half the like fucked up shit that alcohol yeah. does to your brain, yeah. oh my God. It's something like, that I've know. realized on reflection as well in my time when I did go to uni for a bit and I was also working a, a job that had a lot of like really, really, really late night shifts and long hours doing like roadie work, a lot of very physical labor as well. So that combined with university, combined with I was drinking a lot, I was drinking coffee, I was smoking cigarettes, all of this sort of stuff, putting into my body and then like, oh, damn, I'm really stressed out all the time at uni and at work. I don't I don't know why. Is it the combination of taking on all this load and then putting all of this bad stuff into my body? Nah, probably not. I'll just fight through it and deal with the constant stress. And then when I let not just uni and that job, but then also those other bad habits go, I suddenly started to feel a lot better. So that was very mm. interesting to realize in hindsight that it probably wasn't just the stress. It was also the other shit too, you know. Isn't it, isn't it isn't fascinating? Isn't it interesting? <laughs> um, this is where, I mean, you know, if, if you'd been more on top of the scientific literature, <laughs> Matthew, you would have been aware <laughs> that... Uh... <laughs> None of this. That the temporary stress relief from, from the self-medication and, and, and coping mm, mechanisms, yeah. you know, I, yeah. I didn't have that foresight, you know. Mm. Mm. Well, I think Even that's something that, now, that you know... You know as Janine and I work in a lab that specifically looks at <laughs> rewarding, you mm. know, sensations and what happens yeah. in the brain and mm. like chasing that quick reward, like that short term um, instant gratification versus the longer term. You know, a great example for that is like alcohol and anxiety, right? Like mm. alcohol acutely, as in like, it, you know, in its immediate you take a shot, you drink a beer, whatever, like that is an anxiolytic, which means it is going to make you less anxious. You are going to feel calmer. You're going to feel, you know, mm. and that's going to last like maybe half an hour or so. And then you're going to feel like you need more of it to keep that chill feeling. So mm -hmm. you're going to drink more of it. And ultimately what it's going to do, it's going to send your body because our bodies love to stay in what's called homeostasis, right? Mm, our bodies like word. to stay in like well-regulated. And so as soon as you start putting this like, anti-anxiety stuff in high quantities in your body, your brain starts, your brain and your body starts producing chemicals that actively make you more stressed and more mm. like alert and more anxious and to, you know, counteract that. Um, and then it can get to the point where your body will start preemptively releasing those things in situations that you've learned to associate with, I'm about to have a drink. Um, or your body will, you know, if it gets really bad in terms of like addiction or alcohol use disorders, sometimes, 
Like, you can feel like you're in that state constantly um, where your body is producing this excess mm-hmm. stuff and ultimately you're going to be more anxious. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that's something that, I don't know, isn't is communicated really or taught. Or, yeah. No, not at all. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and it's hard to experiment on yourself in that sense because yeah. you can have a drink and I feel that immediate feeling of relief and yeah. be like, oh, this is great. This is how I'm going to deal with my social anxiety at parties. I'm mm. going to like, you know. Um, so I think it's important. One of those things that should be talked about more yeah. is the, yeah. yeah. I think maybe I, if um, it's brought up in a science classroom, it might be taken more seriously than if it's brought up in a health classroom. Because I be was honest, actually going to say that. Yeah, we took like, those seriously in high school. That was the, yeah. I was a really good student except in health class. I was an asshole to my <laughs> teacher because they knew nothing. Mm, <laughs> yeah. And I think um, the, issue as well is that it's not just the university students that are drinking these days because I actually started drinking when I was in year 11 Mm. (laughs) so Mm. like being that earlier on I actually didn't know much about what the effects of it in terms of like short term or long term until like Mm. I actually got into studying about science and specifically neuroscience and Mm. one of the scary things is I know a lot of people there might be conflicting debates about this is that by the age of 25 is the time that your brain is actually fully developed and it's crazy Mm. now because like I'm just gonna reveal it but I'm 25 Mm. and drinking earlier on than that I don't know what damage it caused into my brain or like liver or whatnot and like Mm. no one really knows because there's not much study has been done for it but I think me knowing what I know now I don't think Mm. I would have done what I did back then like Mm. yeah (laughs) there is a lot that I wouldn't have done that I yeah it's kind of Um, like I'm not I'm only 24 I'm not even 25 yet and you know I yeah. certainly have drunk in my life. Um, yes, so. you have. <laughs> exactly. I have witnessed this on more than one occasion. Uh, you have. I, I yeah. do remember one time. I think in like in an English class or or a, or a, like a, a sorry, you were drinking SNA in an English class. No, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. There was there was a guy who made a presentation advocating for the increase of the legal drinking age in Australia to be 21 rather than 18 Mm -hmm. for these reasons of how ideally later, but, you know, pushing it all the way back to 21 because of Mm. the the brain is still very much developing between 18 and 21, um, which, you know, at the time I'm kind of like, no, man, I'm under 21, (laughs) but I like drinking. So no. (laughs) Um, Funny that you mentioned that is that yeah. the drinking age here is 18, but I believe mm. in America it's 21. But it you is. can drive 21 in America. Yeah. It's like 16 in other countries, yeah. like Italy, I'm pretty 14 sure. 14 in some yeah. places as well, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, wow. Well. Um, yeah. So it, it, it depends on the culture of the country yeah. as well, where where yeah. that sort of stuff comes from. And um, the other thing is, like, I don't want to touch about it, but since we are addiction lab, okay, mm. um, drugs mm. as well is that mm. a lot of people these days, especially like the synthetic drugs that mm. people don't even know what they're putting into their mm. body, and that scares me at all. It's kind of yeah. like I don't mind Big what's yes. in this, but it's going to make me feel yes. something. Yeah, and I think. Um, the issue with that is that why do people take it in the first place? Like, mm. do you know what I'm saying? Mm. Like, is it for fun, for social pressure, or like, what do you guys I think, think? It differs from person to person very yeah. much. Yeah, so exactly. I think 
for a lot of people, it can be used in a, in a, in a safe and responsible manner, but for probably more people, that's not quite the case. It might depend on the people they're around and the culture they're in. Like if you go out clubbing, it's very, very common for, you know, certain drugs to be going around. And that's just part of the culture for a lot of people. Like, oh, go out. All right. Do a bit of MDMA. Uh, go out, do a bit of drinking, do a bit of that, mix a bunch of stuff together. And it's, it, scary. it's just kind of accepted. Like, I don't know what it's like in other countries, yeah. but I, I know that's very much a thing in Australia. Um, mm -hmm. So whether people are doing it because they feel pressured to or whether they're doing it because they're in, intrigued by it because they see other people doing it, they're like, oh, heaps of people are doing it, so clearly it's fine. It's mm. not a case of, mm. oh, heaps of people are doing it, so it's cool, so I want to be cool, so I want to fit in. It's not all about that. It's like, a, no, well, if everyone exactly. else is doing it, then it can't be that bad, right? <laughs> so then they do it as well, and then they feel good, and then they keep doing it, and they don't feel the bad shit till later yeah. on, till it's mm. too late. Yeah, and then I think, like, you know, there's also obviously a class of people that use substances as self-medication to cope mm. with challenging life circumstances. You know, you might experience a loss. You might lose your job. Like, I think that's with alcohol, that's a very kind mm. of normalized thing. Like, oh, I've had a bad day. I'm going home for a drink, mm. which, you know, that's kind of problematic in itself. But, you know, yeah, that's that's a whole other part of, you know, drinking and drug culture that exists. And I think it's interesting, you know, that we see that differently. Like someone who drinks to excess in response to, you know, their life sucking or them mm. feeling depressed, we kind of, if they then end up addicted to alcohol, we kind of shame them a lot more than someone who binge drinks mm. every weekend to party, which, you know, binge drinking every weekend to party is still alcohol abuse. It's, it's still just still... as harmful. Whether yeah. you're drinking alone or drinking socially, um, you're still drinking to excess and that's just not good for you. Yeah. Mm. And there's like, I feel like there's a whole lot more shame around. Yeah. It's, it's interesting the way some use is mm. stigmatized and other use mm. is not. And you're going to get people from both camps, like using for different reasons. Mm. And you know, yeah. I don't know. It's interesting yeah. to talk about. It is interesting. Yeah. I was actually going to say as well with the binge drinking is that I think a lot of people don't actually know how much a standard drink is and what is considered as binge drinking. So do you want to? Yeah, it's a very small amount, actually. Yeah. I can't. Yeah. I really should know this. Um... <laughs> no, that's okay. Because I actually was reading an article on the news is that this lady, she pretty much quit cold turkey because... Um, pretty much it was affecting her whole life and whatnot, but she didn't mm. realize how much um, she was binge drinking or what binge drinking even was. And mm. when she found out what the standard drink is, kind of like a glass of wine or something like that, I believe, Kay? So the CDC, uh, which is American government yeah. um, website, but defines binge drinking as when men consume five or more drinks or women consume four or more drinks in about two hours. That can even just be like two pints of a strong and beer. And that's like standard drinks. Standard so drinks. yeah, like one, one thing of beer is generally going to be like, you know, one and a half standards. Yeah. Yeah. Depending on the strength of the beer, mm. you know. So you could drink um, three beers and that's three cents, it, you know, can be considered a binge. Which um, I think, you know, for Australian culture in particular, that's kind of 
the standard for a lot of people is like if you're gonna drink you're gonna drink drink to get drunk even if it's even if it's not drinking to the point of being blackout you you know have at least you know two or three drinks in a night because Mm. you know that's what you do yeah it's what you do that's 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 our that's our social pastime knock knock off at the end of a week have a few drinks and you know relax and that there's that Mm. association with the drinking and the relaxation rather than just relaxation (laughs) Mm, (laughs) or being social you know Mm-hmm. it's very yeah. much ingrained and like the as you said kate the drink to get drunk i think that's such <laughs> i feel like that kind of stereotype needs to change mm. especially of what we know <laughs> like i'm kind mm. of scared for people in so so give us well. spe- can i have a specific example of like what 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 is so particularly scary to you about that being that being a thing if people want to kind of change yeah. why they're doing it well the major thing is like i don't know specifically the whole thing about alcoholism because i'm not really part of that (laughs) field of study but from what i understand is that one of the first things that changes in your brain is the cognitive functions and whatnot and i think the cognitive areas of your brain so like kind of like the frontal lobe basically the forefront of your brain Mm. which is dealing with like executive functions so what that means is that basically on what you decide to do or like how how much you can coordinate things on doing that like cognitive thinking basically that's one of the mm. first thing that gets affected and mm. I like I don't know about you but that's pretty much what we rely on as yeah. scientists mm. is that the cognitive like kind of functioning and whatnot and the fact that this is being affected super earlier on is very scary. Like mm. that's mm. pretty much what put me off from drinking to get drunk, basically. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Well, like even yeah, in, in my specific research, because that's I I do get mm. rats and mice drunk and <laughs> look at what happens to their brains yeah. when we do. Um, and you know, all of it like long term exposure to alcohol and like they're they're drinking to get drunk. They're mm. you know the models we use they binge an awful lot of alcohol per like. You know, it's comparable to blood alcohol concentrations that humans would get in these situations. Mm. And we see all sorts of receptors being dysregulated. So by that, I mean, like, you know, you've got in your brain your different receptors for your different um, chemicals, neurotransmitters that help you communicate, help your cells communicate. And like the numbers of those change when you look at when we look at like the DNA or the mRNA of brains of that have had alcohol versus brains that haven't, they look completely different. Mm. Like the the number of these receptors that are expressed, where these receptors are expressed, you know, yeah. it's different. The brains are functioning differently. Yeah, um, and I think what people don't realize as well is that there's only a small part of the brain that has neurogenesis, and what that means is basically that new neurons are being formed and that's mainly in the um learning and like the plasticity of learning and whatnot the other brains they're pretty much what you have is what you (laughs) what you got and like i don't think that ever gets replaced to the point that it returns back to normal i'm sure like there could be some kind of like minor repairs from astrocyte or like the things that help Mm. um support the neurons but pretty much once it's gone there's a high chance of it being permanently gone and that's scary. <laughs> like mm. cartilage and hearing. <laughs> like what? Cartilage and hearing. 
Oh, as like two separate two things. Two separate I was things. Like, I'm not talking about. I thought cartilage. you were like, you know, <laughs> when you lose cartilage. your cartilage and it affects your hearing. I mean, and I was like, what? depends where the cartilage. What? There's cartilage in your ears, right? And if you lost that, that would probably affect how you hear. I things. mean, there's cartilage in the upper lobe. Yeah, in that's your what ear. catches the sound. Puts it in the <laughs> ear. It's like a, that's interesting, actually. I don't, I don't know. How, that's not what how I meant, but you know, it's, it's also. <laughs> It makes sense, right? It's it's the directional part of your ears. It, it's what it's kind of like your depth perception, but through hearing. I'm pretty sure the way they pick up on the sounds. Like if you can't hear someone, you'll cup your hand up to your ear because it allows the mm. sound to bounce more into. Yeah, you're more likely to catch yeah. the sound waves yeah. and have them funnel into your, um, you know, the part yeah. of your ear that actually records it and turns yeah. it into electrical impulses. Yeah. Um, but what I was yeah. more meaning is how cartilage. <laughs> How My understanding lose... is when you lose cartilage, it doesn't repair and he hearing loss is another part of your body that when it's damaged, yeah, doesn't I, repair. I now understand. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it makes more sense no, now. But yeah, that's the other scary thing as well is that you don't have any kind of tools that once you lose a part of your brain, you have something to replace it back with. Like I don't think mm. it's ever in development or research that we know of could be like, Mm. secret and whatnot but yeah pretty much I don't know there there is some research to suggest like neuroplasticity in other parts of yeah. the brain but not not to the extent that it's gonna repair you know, the whole have... damage mm. that you've caused mm. basically yeah. yeah and I think that's one of the scary things about it and the other one is that like that's only one part of the your body that's being affected like we don't know what's happening with the other ones well we kind of do mm. like the liver and like your yeah. heart and all that that all gets damaged all at the same time and like I can just imagine like the things that could go wrong with it <laughs> like if that mm. le is left unchecked on unregulated basically mm. which you know this isn't us being lame ass <laughs> and being like don't drink Don't drink. because <laughs> like I'll be honest you I'm still think, gonna drink yeah and yeah I'm probably still totally, going totally, to yeah. drink to get drunk every now and then but I think <laughs> definitely after hearing that I'm probably going to very much reduce <laughs> the frequency in which that happens and then you know baby steps towards eliminating yeah, that I don't know I think it's uh, just worth being aware yeah. of yes. the things that you are doing of the choices that you're making you know feel free to make that decision and, you know, do a cost risk yeah, analysis and be like, you know what, the, the joy that I'm going to get from this experience or whatever outweighs the damage that I know that I'm doing. But I think everyone should be at aware. least aware of the value, like the variables in that decision in making that yeah. decision and be aware of the fact that, you know, this is a decision that's going to actively cause you harm. Yeah. And, I think, um, yeah. and if you still decide to do it, like fine power to you, like that's totally cool. But um, the thing is a lot of people just aren't aware. Yeah. I think that's a really um, important part of being an adult in our society is having the freedom to make whatever choice you wish, even if it is a bad one, as long as you are completely educated and informed as to what the repercussions of that mm. choice will be. So then you can be fully aware and informed of what you are doing to yourself or potentially others with your with your choices and actions. Which brings it all right back round to why science is important. Yes. Right? Yes. Everyone should learn science. science. Basically. Uh, <laughs> Good roundabout way of um, segueing <laughs> that, Kate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, just because it's, it's true. Like that's what this, yeah. I feel yeah. like this episode has become like a, you know, why is science valuable? Yeah. Why is science um, valuable? Kind of science why should we care about science? 
Yeah. You know, why should we care about science? And I love that because Mm. I can, you know, and I mean, we've been talking for a while already, but, and, um, and I feel like I could talk for another seven hours Mm. about why I love science (laughs) and why science is valuable and all the cool science that I think, you know, high schoolers should know about to understand the world. Um, but you know, go back and listen to our whole repertoire of (laughs) episodes. Um, before I drag us along to our listener question, you know, we've got a bit of time. We've got a bit of flexibility in the time. Um, is there anything else, particularly, Janine, that you wanted to make sure you got a chance to, we got a chance to chat about? Mm. Um, Actually, one more thing. Um, social mm. media. Like, I feel like, mm. especially because I don't personally use it. So, but I keep mm. hearing these stories on internet and how a lot of mm. the things that are coming up, the issues are mental health issues, especially like yeah. mm. in the way people see themselves, like body dysmorphia and all that. So it's, yeah. I wanted to kind of get gain a perspective because don't get me wrong, I had social media before, mm. but I actually deactivated my Facebook. Probably that's the only yeah. thing that I had on as social media, but I could feel the effects of that back in year 11 and 12. And I decided mm. I was just like, not nah, not for me and whatnot. And now with the rise, early. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And now with the rise of like Instagram and all of this, like you know, mm. self promotion kind of thing, and the influencer culture and whatnot, mm. and the it it's funny because a lot of people are saying that there's been a rise in people having blood like mental health issues in terms of their self image and whatnot. So I just wanted to get in yeah. your perspective on that and kind of understand what's happening because I've been out of the loop basically yeah so like I've got Twitter Instagram Facebook TikTok Mm -hmm. uh Tumblr technically but I haven't opened (laughs) it in like a very long time but I'm sure Mm -hmm. my Tumblr still exists yeah um I have dabbled in the world of social media uh by that I mean it just it 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 takes over my life (laughs) more than I would like it to yeah um But also, yeah, I think it's interesting, actually, because there are definitely, I think, downsides to social media, but there are actually upsides as well. And it's about, like, weighing up those for the individual. Because I will say, like, for me, yes, I doom scroll Twitter way too much, especially at the moment with the pandemic. And, like, every time we get shoved back into lockdown, like, I doom scroll everyone complaining about it, Mm. which it brings some comfort that I'm not alone in the suffering, but also you kind of just get drawn into it it or when the US election was happening last year I was definitely doom scrolling and that was not having a positive effect in any way shape or form um and you know a lot of just time wasting zoned out scrolling and looking at people being like oh everyone's so happy and I'm so alone Mm. like there have definitely been moments of that but what I will say in favor of social media well first of all professionally Twitter it's this weird, it's this weird thing. Science Twitter is huge. Um, and being a scientist and being an early career researcher on Twitter is a thing that, you know, I was told I should get Twitter. Um, and I, I didn't used to have Twitter before, you know, I think it was masters, first year masters. I got my Twitter, um, and started building my like profile as a scientist and a science communicator on Twitter. Like it's much more a professional platform than my Instagram, for example, like my Facebook, which I rarely use anymore. But, um, what I will say in the positive, you know, Twitter has helped in that in that regard of kind of networking and building connections and establishing, you know, meeting researchers from uh, the other part of other parts of the world that are studying similar things and sharing papers that are interesting or like you know, hive mind problem solving and all that sort of stuff. 
Um, but then also just like finding community. And so like Facebook was valuable to me for a while because like, because I've lived in, you know, I've lived in Canberra, I've lived in Melbourne, I've lived in Perth. Um, I've lived in more places than that, but those are probably mm. the main three in the parts of my life that I have friends from. Um, and so keeping in contact with interstate friends, especially at the moment when borders are always closed, yeah. right? Keeping, just like keeping tabs on what my friends are doing with their lives in a very passive way. That's not as draining as having to schedule a zoom call with every interstate friend that I have, mm. you know? Um, and also just finding community. And so like, for me, finding like queer community for argument's mm. sake and finding like that online, was actually a very beneficial thing to me early yeah. on, I think. And like, you know, meeting the sorts of people that you, if you're not necessarily presented with the opportunity to meet people like you in whatever way you may be different, you know, if you can find your tribe of people via social media, that can actually be mm. wholesome and heartwarming. And that would be my argument for social media and why I haven't yet deleted it. But, um, yeah, you're definitely, I think you're definitely right in terms of it can have such an effect, mm. like such a bad effect on your mood if you're not mindful of the way that you're using it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. What do you reckon, Matt? Cause I, you... I, I agree. I'm, I'm on all of the same social media as you are, but I think we use different ones with different frequencies. You're definitely yes. much more on Instagram. I'm definitely much more on TikTok. Yeah, um, I don't really use TikTok very often. And um, it's... It's a, it's, it's an interesting one. I definitely also do a fair bit of just, you know, constantly I'll find myself in a hole for a couple of hours, just mindlessly scrolling through videos. And I think it can be bad in the sense that it can take up a lot of your time and that's not a good way to spend your, your energy or your day. And that, that can have its own bad effects. Um, but where I think it is really, really good is in terms of it's a really good and accessible outlet for good information to spread that a lot of other media mm. outlets or social media things might not put forward because for whatever agendas the owners of those companies may have, That's a lot of these true. ones are a lot more free form and independent and any individual can get on and mm. report information, which of course I is a double. I get a lot of my news yeah. from Twitter, which like sounds bad, but mm. I've, 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 put effort into curating you yeah. know, the list of people I follow on Twitter and I know that they're all reputable, you know, academics or like, you know, people that whose opinion and way that they are going to present me information, I know that I trust yeah. um, much more than like, yeah, a media outlet that may be owned by someone with ulterior motives in the way they present yeah. the facts to you. I think this um, new, like, it's very much a large saturation of information now with the social media age we are in. Like, there is just so much information constantly. And the bad thing about that mm. is there's so much misinformation that gets swept up mm. in that. And it can be very, very hard to notice no. the difference between the two of them. Yeah. So I, 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 I see that as being a very damaging side of social media, but my opinion is that the reality is that this is the world we live in now. Even if everyone realized social media is bad, which I think a lot of people do realize that it's not going away. It's only going to get no. more prevalent and more strong. So I like still maintaining a presence there. Not, not an, I, I don't put anything on social media, but I still um, consume it because I want to know one, what's going on in the world and two, what, 
other people think is going on in the world. So that way mm. I don't have this idea of fear of missing out or I can see what sort of misinformation is going around so I can know what kind of things should ought to be done in terms of combating that misinformation. So mm. I think it's important Actually, that yeah. we maintain a really good presence on social media so we can, you know, keep fighting against the bad shit that's on social media because that's yeah, that's not like, going away and that's incredibly that's influential. That's a very valid point. I think a, a big thing in terms of, like, how I've learned, you know, one of the things I've learned in learning how to be a good communicator in general, like, not just science communicator, but, like, if you want to communicate your view on something to someone that has an opposing view first you kind of have to you have to meet them where they're at you have to understand know thy enemy yeah well not necessarily enemy <laughs> like i'm not you know in in the situation of let's say talking to anti-vaxxers as an example yeah. right and trying to convince someone like you can't just get angry at someone and scream at them that vaccines work you know because you, you need to find out where they are like when you're thinking about how to talk to an anti-vaxxer, you can't you can't just present them the science and expect them to trust it necessarily and that that's going to change their whole outlook. Like, you really have to find out, like, what it is that they don't trust, what it is that they're concerned about, like, what it is that is currently the fundamental of their belief so you can meet them there and then, you know, not see them as an enemy but see them as someone that you can have, like, an actual conversation yeah. with and hopefully, therefore... You know, but yeah, to do that, like I've, I've spent a lot of time scrolling through, like, I wouldn't recommend this for anyone's mental health, mm. but like, you know, scrolling through Trump Twitter, scrolling <laughs> through anti-vax Twitter, scrolling through turf Twitter, yeah. like, you yeah. know, trying to understand why these people think the way that they do, um, so that I can then know how to combat that. Mm. But that's, that is a very specific strategy. And I only go out of my way to do that when I, you know, when it's my task that I'm like, okay, I'm going to like write something to, you know, communicate my opinion, or I'm going to make a podcast on this. I've got a radio segment on this or whatever. And then I'll like, you know, go out of my way to be like, okay, let's understand my audience so that I can communicate to them. I wouldn't recommend just doing that regularly as a way to feel good. Mm. Cause let me tell you, it's seems not a way quite to feel good. draining. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I just, on that note though, Janine, mm. I want to get your, like, how have you found COVID, like in a post COVID world <laughs> where the only way you can socialize with people is virtually, how do you find not being on social media in a time when like, cause I feel like that's the other thing that through all our lockdowns, especially in Melbourne, right. We've, we've been so isolated scrolling through social media even if it's not necessarily giving me a truthful look into people's lives it's it's giving me that way of feeling like I'm not entirely alone mm -hmm. like how how have you managed that without that well there's two sides to it so technically mm. I'm natural and introvert so I actually prefer my own company out of anyone's like and mm. I feel really like I can't spend a lot of time being with other people. I feel like it drains my energy and I just have to mm. pretty much shut out people for a couple of days. And I'm actually known throughout my friends as the person that doesn't reply for a week because that's how much. That's, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's also Matt. <laughs> like, um, no yeah, shame look. in here, but. Yeah. I, and also like kind of me to an extent. Yeah. And like, so I'm, I'm really impressed that the three of us were able to coordinate this episode <laughs> um, through all of our useless abilities to reply. That's okay. Uh, we got that. If there's a will, there's a way basically. And the other thing is that I, 
I look at things a little bit differently. So for me, the most important thing is time because time is the only thing that you can't ever get back. Pretty much everything else you can earn back, like money or pretty much like, you know, friends Other or than cartilage whatnot. and hearing and cognitive ability. Yeah, you, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like all those things. Like in hindsight, I think of time as like a currency. You only have a finite mm-hmm. amount of it. And the more that you spend it on things that don't give you back on your return of investment, I think that's a terrible thing. So during mm-hmm. this lockdown, I actually tried to do a lot of things. So for me, I started learning another language because I've always wanted to learn another language. And I mm-hmm. try to keep up with other language that I've already learned so far. And I also like kind of try to decide as well on what I want to do because I'm at this point in my life where okay Mm. I'm finishing my master's I am doing my research assistant um kind of job on the side but what do I really want to do and that gave me some time to explore other areas that I might be interested in so I took up painting Mm. in like last year whatnot when that got busy I kind of pretty much put it on the side and like pretty much use my time more productively and I think people don't realize is that we have a lot of time every day and a lot of us yeah. kind of waste it. Like I know mm. there's only like 24 hours in a day, basically. And if you take away the amount of time that you spent sleeping, like let's say eight hours on average and whatnot, you're only left with like 16 hours and whatnot. And then you take away the time for like eating and like getting dressed up and all those other things, you're left with less time. And that's pretty much every day. And I kind of see it as a way that, I have a lot of things that I want to achieve in life that I wanted to do. Mm. And that's what's motivating me to kind of like stay off social media because, Mm. and a a lot of the times I feel like social media interactions have come to the point that it's fake that I don't know if you feel that way. Like some people, Mm. it's just like, Oh, hi, how are you? Like, let's catch up and whatnot. And it feels superficial. And for me, I actually connect more on a, one-to-one basis so Mm. I don't like Mm -hmm. group discussions or anything like that I actually quit if there's like a group discussions going (laughs) on so I don't know Kate about like I don't know if you remember but I'm not part of the um Lawrence Lab Slack which I should probably oh yeah you're not so we have like for the the don't know (laughs) like context is that our lab has a group on Slack that pretty much people put on things that whatnot I'm not a part of yeah, that. Yeah, which is, a, it's just a messaging yeah. app. We right. have a group chat for our, our lab of like 20 people, yeah. right? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, we're our, <laughs> it's, it's kind of a couple of labs combined, but yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a group chat of like 20 people. Yeah, pretty much. Um, um, I'm not a part of that because one, I have trouble with like technology. I'm just fundamentally like kind of cursed with technology. And second is that um, a lot of times I could get that information from my supervisor who will tell me if there's something important that I need to know. But it frustrates mm-hmm. Kate because sometimes she'll try and tag me into things. <laughs> and like, I understand that, but I feel like for me as well, I wanted to separate my time on to things that are, that are more mm. important. So for me, that's time for myself, time for my family, time for my friends, and time for the things that I want to do in life, basically. And that's... The main reason I would say that I stayed off social media and because Mm. during that time in year 11, year 12, I could see that it was starting to affect my mental health, basically. Mm. And I Mm. didn't like where it was going. I felt like I was comparing myself to a lot of people and kind of like self-pressuring myself to do more because I could see other people 
like going ahead in life and doing things that they want to do and I feel like I'm being left behind if that makes sense I don't know yeah. if you felt mm-hmm. that way mm-hmm. and I yeah yeah <laughs> I spend my whole life feeling that way <laughs> <laughs> Shit, maybe it's social media yeah. Fuck. all right like just seeing you that because me on my yeah <laughs> and like I think one of the things I realized as well is that a lot of the things that people post on social media are just like glimpses of what they want you to see it's not really like the whole picture and that's a bit misleading in a way as well Mm. because I would assume so for example I would assume that oh they're making a lot of money and whatnot but I don't see the behind the scenes of how much Mm. hours that Mm. they put in to have that business running or like do what they need Mm. to do to reach out to customers or whatnot and I think kind of detaching myself from that and actually personally asking them on what what's going on behind the scene, how they got there. I think that's more of like my kind of preference for how I interact with other people, like a more traditional in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's just, I guess it comes down to the individual and being mindful of, you know, yeah. Yeah. And being mindful of that fact that people put present what they want you to see. Like, you know, I know I definitely like, I make an effort. Oh, Less so recently, (laughs) but in the past I have made an effort to like, you know, when bad shits happen, like I'll post about it and I'll be like, hey, this is my life. Or like, you know, anyone who knows me knows that I've had heaps Mm. of mental health issues over the years that I've always been super open about on social media and stuff because that was something that was really important to me to like normalize these things and you know talk about that like funny time I went to the supermarket and had like a panic attack Mm. in the middle of the aisle because I got overwhelmed by you know all the people and the Mm. whatever and like you know tell it as a funny anecdote but like normalizing these kind of things um but I'm aware that that is not the way the majority of people use social media um I think it depends on the social media as well because what I will say about Mm. um TikTok in particular, um, and it could just be the particular side of it that I'm on. It, it that app does have a very good way at detecting a person's niches, and there are very specific mm. small bubbles around the whole thing. But I think there is a larger growing trend in the culture of the younger generation in Gen in Gen Z, especially of mm. being a lot more honest about how one is presenting yourself on social media and being more honest mm-hmm. about your mental health and honest about a lot of these things, a lot less superficial. Granted, there's still heaps of superficial shit on there. Mm. A, a lot of it is like, you know, that kind of very much, you know, thirst traps people just looking pretty and showing like a particular side of themselves. But for as Mm. much as there is of that, I do believe that there is just as much really genuine content out Mm. there that people people are putting forwards and that there's a better sense of community and understanding of mental health in the upcoming generation with how social media is operating now. Mm. Not necessarily trying to advocate it for people. I think if you're not on it, stay off it. It's probably better for your mental health. But... It's not as doom and gloom yeah. as it once was. But I mean, I the culture think. is changing. Yeah. Definitely. Um, that's yeah. That's good. I, the younger generation, the Zoomers, they give me hope. <laughs> they bring me. They yeah. woke, son. They woke. They're very yeah. woke. <laughs> I say Slash they. I, I, I don't you know, guys man. I'm technically Gen Z. What I don't the, know. It's when where that. a weird cuspy thing. I think it really depends on your own upbringing because I was having a really interesting conversation with my housemate about it the other day actually because he and I 
he's six months older than me, but for -hmm. whatever reason, he was two years above me in schooling than I was. Mm -hmm. So in high school, he was around a lot more people who identify with like millennial generation. And I was around Mm. a lot more people who identify as Gen Z. So as a result, he identifies as millennial or Gen Y and I identify more Mm. as Gen Z, even though we're pretty much the exact same age. So Mm. if you're kind of born between that, you know, 95 to 2002 sort of age, you're in this weird zone where depending on what your influences were as an adolescent, Mm. that can change which kind of category you fit into when it comes to generational stuff. Yeah, it's interesting because, like, yeah, I think I'm technically a millennial. Mm. um, And I definitely, there's a lot of, like, millennial culture that I I definitely identify with. But then also I've spent a lot of time, like, hanging out with people that are very Gen Z Mm. in their kind of culture, looking at you, Matt. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so I feel like I've definitely... I don't know. In between. Embodied some of that as well. Yeah. Deep down. Like that's that just shows that, you know, the the between generation culture, like it's not a hard and fast. Yeah. It's all an arbitrary thing. fucking spectrum we made up anyway. <laughs> yeah. So who fucking cares, yeah. right? Like it's not science. This is this is a science show. We've gotten <laughs> off the science and onto just like semantics of uh generational but it but it is Um, it is good and it is important and it is pertinent because it's you know it helps you understand their way of people with whom we're trying to talk to yeah pretty much Mm. the audience Mm. yeah know your audience number one communication (laughs) communication subject right there okay (laughs) yep jen would be proud jen would be so for those who don't Uh, know jen was the teacher of the science communication subject yeah jen has actually been a guest on our podcast Uh, she came and talked about the time she went to antarctica Mm -hmm. and told us all about antarctica and it was it was incredible you can go back and listen to that episode it's uh it's it's great we love jen we stand jen. <laughs> yes, we do. um this is probably going to end up being a slightly longer episode but you know that's, that's totally cool i feel like we've lost you know we we're flexible in our episode lengths lately <laughs> <laughs> if the discussion warrants it the discussion warrants it yeah, it's important it's shit to really talk about so i'm gonna keep it in like yeah it's gonna be a really it's it's been a really interesting discussion a really episode <laughs> Who put me on a podcast? Who, <laughs> you who did. was like, you know what, Kate? Kate, you would you would be a great podcast host. You can string a sentence together. I'm um, guessing Jen convinced you to do a podcast. No, no. no. Um, but I definitely was inspired by doing the psychom yeah. subject back in like 2019. Whenever I did one of the. Because I did, there's a few yeah. of them, and I was I was motivated and inspired by that. But no, it was actually Matt's Ooh. idea that we start this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, Yay, Matt! <laughs> well, because I was I wanted to do something science communicationy, yeah. and Matt had just done his like sound audio um, sound degree, and it was just like, was hey, like, what hey, if we? I know how mm-hmm. to make podcasts. You want yeah. to communicate science? I kind of want to get practice in doing my audio engineering shit and I'm also interested in science and I don't mind the idea of co-hosting so yeah. we just yeah kinda... let's marry these two needs and and so a podcast was born yeah. um Fantastic. and now I am an avid consumer of podcasts <laughs> which I was not before I started one I was like what even is a podcast Weirdly, I've actually um, done the opposite I used to listen to heaps of podcasts and now I haven't listened to a podcast in like over a year so I don't know I mean except for our podcast that you listen to every time you edit it <laughs> so there we go I I listen to our podcast quite a lot and that's it it's not 
me tooting my own horn. It's just the editing process. <laughs> it's not, you don't just like, before you're like, what am I going to listen to? I listen to the most I know, the sound of my own voice. version of this podcast twice over, once during recording and one post recording, stopping and starting very often. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, unless there's anything else um, worth chatting about, no, let's drag us along to our listener question. So if you haven't listened to the show before, um, every episode we get a question that was emailed into us. Um, you can email your listener questions into curiosityrat at gmail.com is our email address. And this question, um, look, I'm just going to be honest about where this question <laughs> came from because it's, it's, it's hilarious. So, um, it was actually my birthday the other day. Happy birthday. And we, Happy oh, birthday. Thank, you. thank you. Um, and it was in that tiny little window of time that, um, we weren't in lockdown and I was actually allowed to go out to dinner with a couple of people. Uh, and I don't know how the discussion came about, but this question got emailed to me by my group of friends during the dinner. Um, (laughs) because apparently I'm now the walking encyclopedia and I was refusing to answer questions. And I told them that if they wanted questions answered, they could just email. (laughs) So yes, listeners, if you want your question answered, email curiosityrat at (laughs) gmail.com. That is curiosityrat at gmail.com. Anyway, continue. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, so this question is from my group of very intelligent friends who have worded this very eloquently. (laughs) Do you calories when you brain? <laughs> Question mark. Now, see, here's the Do thing. Do you calories when you I completely brain? understand what that means. And I think there's right? something very beautiful and calls back to what we were saying before Succinct, about bullshit scientific concise. jargon. You don't need yeah. that shit. That's fucking no. monosyllabalic. Fu- I can't even say the word. <laughs> I don't fucking need to. You get the fucking point. The point is you don't need to say fancy shit to get the point across. Yeah. Do you calories? I'm going to I'm going to insert one word into the question. That's the word burn. Do you burn calories when you brain? Mm. Um or when you brain when you use your brain. If we wanted to fill it out to a full sentence, do you burn calories when you use your brain? That's that's essentially the question I'm going to answer. But yes, the question in its, you know, purest most accurate form was do you calories when you brain? Mm. And like I could answer this in like two seconds and just be like, yes. <laughs> well, um, thanks very much for listening, guys. It's been <laughs> to the show. It's been a hoot. Um, no, I. But I'm going to answer it in a bit more detail mm. because you know we're scientists. Probably should. So. <laughs> we're scientists, uh, and you know, there's always more I want to say. And yeah, feel free to weigh in, Janine. But I, you know, what I essentially wanted to like answer this question with was like in t- in two sort of ways. Does our brain use calories yes because Mm. calories like first of all what are calories like what what even is a calorie it is a unit Um, of measuring energy yeah 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 do you know what it like it's actually defined as it's when you burn it how much shit it releases right (laughs) i mean like (laughs) it's the amount one calorie or it's actually really confusing because there's two types of calories there's like small calories and big calories. Anyway, oh. I'm going to just talk about what we call kind of big calories or food calories. So mm. like when you're talking about a chocolate bar has a hundred calories, like this is the sort of calorie we're talking about. Mm. And the definition of that is the amount of energy required to heat one kilogram of water by one degree Celsius. That's what, yeah, we said that the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's, yeah, it's the energy that's stored in like the chemical bonds of like food or like glucose in your body and stuff. Um, and, 
calories are just the amount of energy stored in those bonds that, you know, how much it would arbitrarily heat a kilo of water by one degree Celsius. That's what humans Um, know how to do best. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So you've got a basal, what's called a basal metabolic rate, which is just kind of like your baseline, your metabolism, like your body is constantly using energy, all of your cells, all of your organs, not just your brain, but including Mm -hmm. your brain, constantly using energy. And the amount of energy or the number of calories that you're sort of burning at rest is what's called your basal metabolic rate. And about 10 to 20% of the calories that your body uses at rest is taken up by your brain, which is like, yeah, (laughs) because like your brain does not weigh 20% of your body. It actually weighs about 2% of the total body weight. If I'm, if I'm correct. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Um, so it's using 10 times its share. Yeah. It's a glutinous kind of organ, I would say. I call it selfish organ, basically. It's a, ah. I'm going to yeah. take everything yeah. you guys fight for the rest. That's pretty much it. And if you, like, you're wonder, if you're wondering what the brain's actually using that for, the majority or a large proportion of that energy goes into essentially producing and releasing neurotransmitters. Hmm. So those chemicals that we're talking about that, you know, travel between your brain cells to so transmit rich. messages most of the energy goes into producing and releasing those. That's like a very, very energy costly process. So then, you know, um, the question that I think naturally arises from there that wasn't necessarily in the question, Mm. but is interesting Mm -hmm. nonetheless is do you burn more by thinking harder? Mm. From what I quickly researched this morning when you sent me that question, um, Mm -hmm. apparently according to recent research is that, it does burn a bit more calories for like intensive cognitive um, kind mm-hmm. of tasks. So like when you're really doing a, like intricate um, cognitive things, like mental math, basically, and or stuff, like mm-hmm. like trying to do multiplication much, or solving yeah. puzzles. Yeah. Um, you do burn a slightly more, but not too much. Mm. So not heat. <laughs> so you're probably burning a little bit more, like a point two or point three or something I like think- that. What I found, the information that I found was that at rest, your brain usually burns about a fifth of a calorie per minute. That's it. That's at rest. Mm -hmm. But then when you do something like thinking really hard, like you can consume up to, or sorry, or like burn up to about, you know, one, one and a half calorie. So it's not as much Um, at all. (laughs) So thinking hard does use more calories, but if your goal is like weight loss, go for a run. (laughs) um, Doing a Sudoku won't help you. I was going to say, put it to put it into context, right? You know, so an extra 1.3 calories a minute by like doing some really, really hard thinking. Mm. You could go for a walk yep. and burn about five calories a minute. Yeah, right. um, you could go for a run and burn like 10 to 15 calories yep. a minute. Mm. Like if you sit there and play like a really, really long, intense chess game, you're not going to lose weight. Yeah. From that, like it's it's not a valid replacement <laughs> right. for an exercise no. regime. But the reason I raised chess is because I, there was this really interesting uh, thing that I stumbled upon when researching this is that there was a theory for a while that you know this was actually the case because what happened is there were these grandmaster chess chess players mm. that would like report like would have a higher metabolic rate and report significant yeah. weight loss around the time of their really high stakes like long intense grandmaster chess tournaments and people were like oh it's because they're using their brain yeah. so hard um it's actually more likely to be stress. like stress i was gonna say and right. pressure yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, the pressure and stress of that situation, plus, like, playing really long, intense games of chess. Like, yeah. you're not going to be eating yeah. as much, generally. Like, you can, yeah. you know. So is so, anxiety a valid form of weight loss? I would say no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a valid way to definitely increase your metabolism and decrease your appetite, yeah. but that's not a good In a longer, thing. Weight. longer <laughs> yeah. healthier term, no, I would not recommend that. Yeah. <laughs> I think it'll do no, more no. damage than it will provide beneficial effects to you right yeah 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 um exactly and the other just the other interesting thing that i found when looking at this is there were a couple of studies that um they found that they so essentially what they did they got people in two groups to do like two different things one group of people did like a intellectually challenging Mm. task like solving a puzzle Mm. right and then they got another group of people to do like a really simple mindless task like just pressing a button repetitively just like press 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 like not even thinking just like whatever and they looked at how much glucose went to the brain so like glucose is you know a a way that our body stores energy essentially Mm. it's like the sugar it's 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 how we get the energy and so if you're getting more glucose to the brain then you're assuming or more glucose to wherever then you're assuming that it's using more of that um yeah and they found that like compared to those who did the simple mindless tasks the levels of first of all the levels of like blood glucose dropped in people that were doing the like really cognitively challenging tasks so it was like okay well the glucose is leaving the blood it must be going somewhere and then there was another study that kind of followed it up and and found that yeah the glucose uptake directly to the brain increased um right and it can even be like brain region specific depending on the task um which i think was really cool so like yes you like you do calorie when you brain and <laughs> you do calorie more when you brain more, but no, it's not it's a bit of a negligible. Replace yeah. It's exercise. not a good weight loss yeah. plan, basically. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. The moral of the story is if you're trying to burn more calories, like if you're trying to avoid doing exercise, no, doesn't work. <laughs> don't do that because exercise is good for reasons yeah. beyond burning calories. It reminds um, me of uh, something I remember seeing on the internet years ago about some Russian sport where they do a round of boxing, then go and do five minutes of chess, and then do another round of boxing, and then do another round of chess. What? And then it's oh, the winner cool. is either you KO the other guy or you checkmate them. That's how you win. It's there's two <laughs> oh, ways I love to win. That. I, it's yeah. That's incredible. I'd forgotten that it existed until yeah. <laughs> I wonder how many calories yeah. you get doing chess and boxing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just I'm just God. thinking of how yeah. you're gonna set up that whole experiment to be honest I'm just like curious like you have to stick them into fMRI so like the machine that basically um checks out the blood glucose usage but I'm mm. gonna be like that's a very intense experiment setup <laughs> like kudos to whoever does it yeah yeah You'd probably um, want them to be like wearing things while they're fighting because if you have them take an MRI while they're like waiting, that's you know taking a break in the round, and that's not an accurate representation of <laughs> them playing chess than boxing. Chess than boxing, you need live feeds of what their brains yeah. doing. Mm, I think we need to wait until <laughs> technology gets better before we can do this specific. Do we have impact we resistance <laughs> electrodes or whatever? get stuck on your head when you're measuring brain shit the, i mean yeah. there are lots of different like you know there's eeg which is the electrodes yeah. on your bread and mm. bread <laughs> on your head it was like your brain and your head it's bread. your bread um electrodes on your on your yeah. head mm. to measure brain activity that measures like electrical activity you've got like fmri which measures like you know oxygenated blood traveling um to the brain you know there's lots of different types of 
ways mm. to measure brain shit. Mm. But I don't um, think there's any, yeah. Depending on what you're looking I was going to say, for. I don't think there's mm. any that will allow you to check boxing and then chess and then boxing and then chess in like in a straight No, line. not with our current yeah. technology, I don't think. Well, but, um, now you know what to look forward to. That's that's on the <laughs> forefront of scientific research now. That's yeah. what you guys need yeah. to dedicate your research to, dedicate <laughs> your input into the field of science towards. <laughs> cool. Well, if, you know, my current direction of pursuit <laughs> falls apart, I know where to go. Now next. you have a plan uh, B, so you're welcome. I have a plan Pretty B uh, for my PhD. <laughs> the people I have so will many. Need to I know. feel like we have so many plan Bs at this point. Like every episode, we're like, oh, I should do a PhD on that. <laughs> Maybe I should just go and do like 10 PhDs. Student for life. Why, why not? not? <laughs> um, well, yeah. So to all my friends that wanted to know the answer to that question and anyone else who just, I just thought it was also a good question for anyone else that might be interested. <laughs> I thought uh, it was. The, I hope yeah. that sufficiently answers <laughs> yeah. uh, it. And so I think that more or less brings us to the end of the episode. So thank you, Jane, for coming on and such interesting chats and such like, yeah, just like that was a cool vibe for the episode. Mm, Um, I I hope our listeners vibed the the, um, discussions that we had. And, you know, even if you're not at that high school age, like hopefully you got something out of just the discussion of. I think whether Science you're in and- high school or whether you're out of high school, even if you're in primary school, you shouldn't be listening to this podcast <laughs> if you're in primary school. But if yeah, you're an no, adult, we probably swear a little bit too much for primary schoolers. Uh, but no matter what age you are, you know, just understand. There is value like, in I mean, science, obviously, you know. You you listen to our podcast, you you see that there's value in science, but I think it's just like putting it in perspective, basically. Mm. Yeah, articulating yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was great. Um, so as always. You know, after talking about all the negatives of social media, I am, in fact, going to plug our social media. Um, So if you are on social media, you can find us. uh, At Curiosity Rat is our handle on Twitter and Instagram, or you can find us on Facebook. We've got a Facebook page, Curiosity Killed the Rat. Um, You can give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, all of those things. Uh, We also have a Patreon Mm -hmm. Because time, energy, and effort goes into making this show. And, you know, we want all of this stuff to be free and accessible to anyone that wants it. But if you do find what we make valuable and find that you have the money to spare, you can find us on Patreon, um, Curiosity Rat, or Curiosity Killed the Rat. We, we're, we're just very grateful yes. for our, our cute little number, cute little crew of patrons mm-hmm. that we have. If you want to join the the elite crew, you can, but <laughs> no pressure whatsoever there. Yeah. Uh, and email in any listener questions you have to curiosityrat at gmail.com. I believe that is all the pluggables that I am meant to plug. Mm-hmm. I can't think of any others. Amazing. Listen well, to our show. With that, Listen to our show. Once again, I would like to take this opportunity to remind you that we have how many episodes you can listen to all of them, all of them, <laughs> to learn all of the science things uh, and have a good, I was going to say Life. night, because we're recording yeah. at night, but day, <laughs> week, Whenever you listen to year, this show. Wherever you're at. Wherever you're at in time or space. You know. Have a good. Look after yourselves too. Whatever life is defined to you. <laughs> Thanks Thanks. again, Janine, and lovely chatting. Catch you all next time. Thanks, everyone.